Good morning and welcome to The Home Show. I'm Sinead Ryan. Coming up today, will you be spending Christmas alone? We'll be discussing what that's like and meeting a woman who's looking forward to it. We'll be showing you how to design your own homemade Christmas card. And we'll be talking about how to deal with the problem of damp if and when it arises in your home. And interior designer to the stars, Arlene McIntyre, will be here to showcase how to make an impact with your Christmas tree or trees and how to go about selecting a dining table that works for you this Christmas time. If you'd like to get involved in the show today, you can text us here at The Home Show at 53106 for 30 cent. You can email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com or you'll find me over on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100. And remember, you can listen live or listen back to the show and all of our podcasts on the Newstalk website or on the Newstalk app, which, of course, is powered by Go Loud. Now, unlike previous years we have a very small Christmas table this year there's just five of us Uh, one or two will be staying over a few days but all in all I must admit to being a little bit relieved not to have a dozen people descending for dinner. It'll certainly be easier on the cooking side, but it will be quieter. And it got me thinking of the other Christmases that people will be having from those spending it alone and stay tuned for more on that coming up to those expecting a complete household full and how they're going to cope and where they're going to put everybody and whether there's going to be tensions or whether everybody will have a great time. And what I'd like to know is how you are spending your Christmas and if you are uh, kind of being descended on from on high, well, do let me know how you are coping with that uh, emotionally as, as, as much as anything else. Or maybe you can't wait and you're looking forward to having the place filled up if you're on your own for Christmas. Uh, well, let me know why and let me know what you plan to do for the day. We'll be chatting a lot about that on the show today. We've a very busy show. We've loads coming up and you're very welcome along to The Home Show. Now, research suggests that more than one in 10 of us will spend Christmas alone this year with older people more likely to be on their own. Now, for some, this isn't by choice. They simply have nowhere else to go. But for lots of people, it's most definitely their preferred option and not at all lonely. So to get some more on this and to tell me why she's relishing being on her own for the festive season, I'm joined now by Rabia Mirza from Rabia Mirza Consulting. Uh, Rabia, very welcome along to The Home Show. Hi Sinead, nice to speak to you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Now tell me about how you'll be spending uh, the 25th of December. The 25th of December is just like any other day for me. Um, A very cold day probably. And yeah, I don't celebrate Christmas. Um, You know, I've, I've been raised here in Ireland from a very young age apart from, you know, uh, a handful of times that I was invited for Christmas dinners and stuff like that. Um, I don't celebrate Christmas, so it's just another day for me. Now, is that for any specific reason? Is it for cultural, religious reasons? I know you were born in Pakistan, but as you say, you've lived in Ireland your whole life. So you must have been immersed in the Irish Christmas for, for all of that time. Yeah, I mean, you you know, it's uh, it's it's. Yeah, it's it's around you all the time. So it's it's a busy, uh, festive time of the year, uh, with lots to do, lots of events. Um, but yeah, I, uh, you know, we don't uh, celebrate Christmas. Yeah, it is a cultural thing. Um, you know, there are other festivals that I uh, would get involved in, but I wouldn't consider myself an overly uh, cultural or religious person. 
How do you regard the festivities? I mean, it seems that in Ireland we do Christmas for longer <laughs> and more intensely than lots yeah. of other places, you know, two two weeks uh, anyway. And of course, there'll be time off and, and shopping and presents and trees and turkeys and all of that. Is there any aspect of it that you get involved in? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to not get involved, isn't it? I mean, there are, you know, the, the, the parties and the events, the networking events, the business events. Um, the shopping, you know, the the sales, the discounts. Uh, like I was reading your article there um, on the ten ways to save for Christmas. You know, I mean, you can apply that any time of the year. Mm. So yeah, that part is, you know, it's it's, it's a busy it's a, a season, and the lights are nice. You know, the the lights to go out uh, to Grafton Street and the lights in town. It's it's nice to to see that you know and the hot chocolate and, <laughs> and tell me what you will do on the day. Will it just be like a regular day for you? But I mean, you won't be working, so will you just get up and watch a few movies, go for a walk, maybe, or or meet anybody on the day? Pretty much, yeah. I'll have my regular day, which starts off with you know uh, meditating, or a walk, or a run, depending on if it's raining and how cold it is, and you know probably just yeah chill out cook some food, maybe bake some bread if I'm in the humour. Might do my nails. I do like doing my nails. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> it'll be just another another day, another weekend day for me. Yeah. Do you think that we put too much store in the big day itself? And I'm thinking here maybe of families for whom it is very stressful or people who will be alone and maybe not by choice. Uh, do you think maybe we can learn something from just treating it like a regular day? I think it's very individual, Sinead, to be honest. You know, some people are very much uh, into celebrating the cultural uh, festivals and others are not. So it's very individual. Um, I think in this day and age, any any festivals, um, you know, around the world, I think they're overly commercialized um, and they lose the true sense of the actual um, event, you know, um, so Christmas uh, and other cultural activities, you know, seem to be around the commercial aspect, the shopping, the gifts, uh, you know, the big meals, you know, the, the the lights and the competition on the streets on who's going to win, you know, the, the best looking house or whatever. So I think it's overly commercialized and, you know, it's not just for Christmas, as I said, it's, you know, for mm. a lot of different festivals um, with a lot of different cultures and religions around the world. So we can lose meaning to, to the actual event. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, even people that celebrate Christmas don't necessarily go over the top, maybe, you know, I'd say that that still happens. I do know a few people that, you know, just kind of go along with this, but are not really into it. Yeah, because we're so multicultural now, or at least a lot more so than we used to be, and there are Muslims and Hindu and and all kinds of people who wouldn't traditionally have celebrated Christmas, and in fact it would have no religious meaning for them, but they still buy the tree, mm. and Santa will come to the kids, and you oh, know, yeah, they, might have, they <laughs> might have a special meal. So, so can you see yeah. how some families might want to kind of have the best oh, of both yeah, worlds? Yeah, I think it's lovely for, you know, it's it's a nice concept, you know, so I'm not, I'm not, uh, uh, it's, yeah, I'm not uh, saying that it's not, but yeah, the trees and the Santa, you know, it's a nice concept for kids, people with, with families and stuff. And even people that don't celebrate Christmas, you know, still maybe celebrate parts of Christmas like the Santa. And, um, and I think, yeah, lots of people uh, celebrate that part, even if they don't celebrate Christmas. And, you know, you're, you're, 
kind of taking a day off. You're just doing regular stuff. Um, and you're not going to be lonely or feel you're missing out on anything. But if somebody did invite you and, and felt sorry for you and said, come along and have our Christmas dinner and have our, have our meal with us, what would you say? Would you still prefer to be on your own? Oh, no, I do. You know, if I'm invited, I'll go this, this year, yeah. There is a, so far there's no invitations, but it's not it's not a big deal for me. Um, I have been to you know Christmas lunches and dinners and stuff like that in the past um, a few times over the years. But yeah, it wouldn't be the the norm for me. Yeah. I don't see it as a as a time of you know loneliness. Yeah, I might be alone, but it's not. You know, there's other days that you can be on your own as well. So it's. And there no, is that distinction really. between being alone and being lonely. Um, yeah. And that's an important one, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's very important to not get the two intertwined um, because they're two different things. Um, I would be quite a social person, um, you know, so I would be a bit of a social butterfly, but I also need my own downtime. Um, I love that, you know, so mm-hmm. I'm going to treat it as my downtime. Uh, which I do anyway at the weekends, um, you know, at least one of the days. So this will be just one of those. Yeah. Well, Rabia Mirsa, thank you for telling me all about how you're going to spend uh, your uh, day. And I, I can only, I suppose, finish off by wishing you happy 25th of December. <laughs> and I hope <laughs> that you have a nice time. And thanks a million for joining us on The Home Show. Thanks a lot, Sinead. Lovely to talk to you. So joining me now to talk about people who are spending Christmas alone, whether by choice or otherwise, and maybe how to prepare for the day, is clinical psychotherapist Stephanie Regan. Stephanie, you're very welcome back to The Home Show. Thank you so much, Sinead. Now, there's no doubt for some uh, that, like Rabia, who is spending Christmas on her own by choice and seems perfectly happy about it and has planned out her day, there's lots and lots of people who uh, will find it a very lonely day because it won't be by choice and they simply won't have anywhere else to go. So h- how challenging is that uh, for people? Because we do put a great deal of store in the festivities and the, yeah. the kind of hype around Christmas. Yes, and I suppose um, as a therapist, I, I would have heard this from almost the beginning of December that, you know, the, the music is painful, that uh, when people know maybe they're, you know, recovering from grief, maybe they're, you know, at the end of a, a marriage, that maybe there's a separation, there's all of these reasons. I heard a very touching situation uh, the other day, uh, and it was in relation to a woman who, who was spending her first Christmas alone without her husband because he was in a nursing home now. And I thought, wow, how hard is that to do and then to face all that? So there's lots and lots of reasons, I think, why it can occur. And as you say, some have choice, some do not. But I think the the music is the beginning of it. It's sort of, you know, all this emphasis that is out there. And, and we don't want to, you can't kill the joy for others either. We, but, but I think we can be mindful that it's not the same for everyone. And I think that's what you're trying to do here. Yeah. And of course, the reasons that people can be alone, as you said, can be very varied. I mean, for some, it just might be somebody is maybe temporarily in hospital and they're due back in a few days and you're just kind Mm -hmm. of delighted with the downtime uh, or or you're kind of looking forward to them coming back. But in other cases, it could be people, as you say, who are experiencing that hardship for the first time. Maybe they're without their kids, Stephanie, after separation or divorce. And there's always that thing about... You know, maybe it's her turn or his turn to have them. And that yes, can very be difficult. very, very hard, can't it? 
very painful to negotiate. I think uh, I think an awful lot of separated people in these times because uh, especially in the early years where maybe, you know, the emotions are still very high and sharing is, is more difficult and, you know, conceding is more difficult. But the truth is what children want is they want both parents around. They want to see both. They ideally like to see you together. If it can be negotiated and things are not awful between you and you know utterly untenable then that's that's the aim isn't it and then the other one that really always jumps into my mind is maybe again because clinically I hear it a lot Nate it's that people who have very difficult family relationships and who have made a choice that they're stepping back from those situations and that would be an awful lot more common than we might like to think at Christmas you know and people they they step back because they find there's a toxicity in it they can't be happy in the on the day it's always you know suffused with be it drink or you know there can be all sorts of 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 you know issues that have gone on in a family but especially where the relationships are toxic and people Mm. step back and I've met a lot of people who would be single and stepping back if you know what I mean so um, they're alone and and alone as single people but also then uh, you know stepping back from family and from bad relationships Yeah because of course you know we carry that childhood uh, stuff with us throughout our lives and maybe you know you're flung together at Christmas in a family that maybe you've already chosen I don't particularly want to maintain a relationship with my parent or my brother or my sister and therefore to kind of be forced into it can be very artificial and, and difficult so would you and recommend negative. For, yeah and, and would you recommend mm. for people then that it's okay to give yourself permission to say do you know Absolutely. what I have a family I like you well enough but I'm opting out of this day 100% I absolutely would um, lift that that from people if the relationships are are you know complex and you've already given it a good try and you realize it's quite negative for you on the day why would you go there I think you can give a nod to family you can you know come and visit two days before or whatever and we can plan you know planning ahead is great on these things you know it you can still uh, have your day to yourself and not not let christmas day be a disaster in in these sort of you know patterned family situations which can go on and people know ahead of time i mean obviously i hear a lot of this on this side of the table so to speak and uh you know, the drink comes out, the passions come out, people start saying things that they, they wanted to say all year. And, and all of these things can be kept at arm's length all year, you know. So why put yourself in that situation? No, don't do it. Do a five-minute visit, do a 10-minute visit, pop in something nice the day before or what suits you best. Do a little bit of pleasing yourself. You know, we, we often have that that feeling that we should always be doing for others. But, you know, we also have to take care of ourselves. And healthy selfishness is important. A little bit of self-care is, you know, a little bit selfish is good, in my view. Healthy selfishness. I do like the idea of that. I I, I indulge in that maybe a little bit too often myself. (laughs) So uh, for somebody then, Stephanie, who is, finds themselves alone and maybe hasn't thought it through or how they're going to spend the day, because there there can be a lot of pressure to watch festive movies and pop open champagne and wear a silly hat. But how would you recommend that people maybe prepare for the day or, or maybe schedule their time so that they don't feel yeah. um, as if they're missing out or, or grieving in some way for, for the day not had. Yeah. For the day not had. So l- let's just say you've got your inner narrative 
in order and you've made a good decision and you know this is the right decision for you well then you know you're already in a good mindset for it you know you have taken the time out you're going to look at look at christmas day and christmas eve as time for yourself so plan that out what way do you want to you know spend the day do you want to bring in some exercise do you want to get a good walk in some people of course go to mass different things like that many do not and i think you know whatever your little schedule is do you need to would you like to connect virtually with somebody so kind of look at the day and and say to yourself how can i make this really the way i like it and as i say lots and lots are doing this the other key thing i think is to say to yourself am i going to celebrate it and make it very christmas day-ish or am i just going to let it be any day so i often would find myself saying that to people let it be christmas day or any day because it takes a pressure off you just make it your nicest day your slumber day but for many people they are happy alone they will stay alone but they will reach out virtually or on the phone i always think those Christmas morning calls from people who have the time to do it are very, very nice. Now, it's a little bit tricky to answer them all when you're trying to get that 20-pound turkey in, um, into the oven. But, you know, it is still a lovely thing. And so if you have the time, maybe you're in a position to reach out to some people who might really like that call. So I think that's that's important. Um, I often would say to people, keep off social media because it's kind of, a little bit hard to look at if you're feeling in any way lonely. You know, if you're in a celebratory mode, grand, there's lots there, lots to distract you. But you don't really need all the, the emotionality that is already building up. That's the build up, isn't it? Yeah. And also, of course, with social media, people are only um, posting the fabulous, aren't they? The brilliant exactly. presence, the great joy, the smiley faces. Uh, and nobody's yes. going to put up a post saying, look at me sitting on my own with paper hash watching Elf, you know. Um, yes. So just yes. to, to kind of curate it in your head nearly. You're, you're absolutely right, Sinead. I saw on social media somebody, and I thought just as a counterpoint to what you're saying there, someone um, talking about putting up the Christmas tree for the first time since their wife had died and what that was like. And, and very much put, up, you know, put forward that you know, it was very, of course, brought up a lot of emotion, but also it felt like something quite good as well to kind of honour them and remember them. And, and I just thought, oh, that's so real. That's, that's much more real. Yeah. So, you know, what is really going on for people. So remember, as you say, social media is a lot about you know, nice faces into the camera and lots of twinkles and everything is going well. Mm. You know, everybody's Christmas isn't quite as sparkly as that. No. So, uh, and I think we know there's a lot of reality um, behind it. And um, being alone can make that difficult to look at. I was watching um, one, one somebody I follow on Instagram, Richard E. Grant, the actor, and uh, that's the one. His his wife died. Yeah, and he had put up the the Christmas tree for the first time, but he was finding it very moving and poignant. And he had he had said on it, "I wasn't going to do this. We just weren't going to have a tree because it was it was too festive." But in fact, he, yeah. he liked the process of putting it up nearly as an homage uh, to, yeah. to his late wife. Now, Stephanie, another thing that people can do at Christmas, of course, is mm-hmm. if they don't want to be alone, uh, is to volunteer. And and there are lots uh, of places yeah. that are open. I mean, not not to mention places like homeless services or, you know, mm. uh, the Capuchin Centre or places that are that are um, giving uh, people who are on their own a meal. Is that a something that people meal. could look yes. at? Well, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge believer in volunteering. Now, they would need to get that set up a little ahead of time. And uh, certainly 
um, they'd want to move on that this weekend, but uh, because people have to, you know, they have to have some some clearance and and there's all those kinds of things can come into play. But but volunteering is such a great option because you're connecting with people. You're also doing some good, and we know that for our mental health, that that act of um, connecting with others is really important. But also that act of of if you like doing good has a feedback effect, which is very positive on our on our own mood. And uh, so that's a really not, it's a good thing to do for sure. Um, yeah, I would encourage that one. All right. Well, listen, great advice there from Stephanie uh, about ways that you can manage your day, look forward to the day, plan things to do uh, and all of that. And if you are uh, alone, well, don't forget, of course, there is always uh, News Talk Radio to tune into. We will be broadcasting for the entire uh, day and keep you company while we're doing it. Uh, Stephanie Regan, clinical psychotherapist, thank you very much for joining us on The Home Show and a very happy Christmas to you. And a very happy Christmas to you. Now, still to come on The Home Show, we'll be keeping Christmas sustainable by chatting to an artist making homemade Christmas cards. We'll be back in a few moments after this. And you're very welcome back to The Home Show here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan with you. Now, later today, the National Museum of Ireland Country Life in Castlebar will be celebrating some of Ireland's oldest Christmas traditions. And among those taking part is artist Breda Burns, who will be leading a Christmas card making workshop. And she joins me now to tell us all about that. Breda, you're very welcome. Welcome to the Home Show. Thank you, Sinead. And lovely to be here. Now, tell us a little bit about this workshop that's on this weekend. This workshop is, uh, the Museum Education Department is great for running a series of different workshops for each season. And this one is Christmas cards. I'm going to do two types. One would be pop-up cards and one would be using a relatively new system, Jelly Place, which is a silicone place where you can use stencils and found objects to build up lovely prints. Now, that sounds very fancy. Jelly with a G. <laughs> and not not quite the fold an A4 piece of paper in half and draw a picture on the front. So tell us a little bit about the techniques that people will learn uh, if they go along to this workshop. Jelly Place is very interesting. It's uh, relatively new to us anyway down here. They come in different sizes. They're quite expensive to buy initially. They're 50 quid for an A4 jelly plate but it's silicone so it feels gorgeous and uh, it can be used and reused and the main thing is to clean it carefully after each use but you can do something like say for instance you go into the woods around uh, the museum you can pick up a fern you can ink up your plate lay down your fern pick your fern up and you will get left with a ghost image of the fern which can, that in itself is a very simple way. But you also can draw Christmas images. We'll have a series of stencils. Jelly plate works best with like overlapped layers. So you've thin little layers of print that all builds up. It kind of gives a very old fashioned texture almost. Now, it sounds like you're helping people create a piece of art. They might not want to give it away and send it on to Auntie Mary at all. Um, so have you done this before with people and how do they get on with it? Well, during the, there's a group in Westport called West Inc. Society of Printers. And we had an exhibition during Westerville in the town hall. And as part of it, we did a free demonstration for anyone, a drop-in one. And that worked out very successfully. Now, tell me a little bit about yourself, Breda, how you got involved uh, in this business and uh, in art generally. Have you done it all of your life? 
all of my life, and I won't tell you how long that is. <laughs> I'm from Westport originally, and like I was one of those kids that was always in school with a paintbrush, and so it was always something I wanted to do. Went to our college, and then I came back to Westport. There wasn't... Westport's now seen this very creative, it's got loads of facilities, but then there wasn't. So a lot of us just got together. We set up different courses. So now Westport, in many ways, is a very active and engaged art community. Now, so the Crafty Little Christmas Weekend, uh, it's free of charge. Uh, there's no booking required. Uh, and people can get details on museum.ie. So that's today and tomorrow. Breda Burns, I wish you the very best of luck with the workshop. I'd say it'll be packed out uh, and people will be coming away with little treasures that they won't want to post <laughs> to anybody or give away. <laughs> Now, whether you're a homeowner, a prospective buyer or even a renter, there's one word you absolutely do not want to hear when you are talking about your home damp. It can be a huge burden to get rid of. It can damage clothes and furniture and also lead to developing or exacerbating health problems like asthma. So to find out all there is to know about it and how to deal with it, I'm joined by Colin Nolan Damp. Doctor, Director of Serving. That is some uh, title there, Colin. You're very welcome to the studio. Good morning, Sinead. Now, let's start by the definition. What is damp? What causes it? (laughs) How long have we got? Um, I suppose at Damp Doctor, we deal with three main types of damp. Number one is rising damp. Number two is penetrating damp. And the third one is a condensation and humidity related damp. So if we're to take each individually, rising damp it's moisture that rises up from the ground through a wall. So I suppose if we can use the analogy of a sponge. If I get a dry sponge, we dip the end of it into a bucket of water. You can imagine that moisture is going to rise up mm. through the sponge. Um, rising damp works on pretty much the same principle. So you have a wall, it sits down into damp soil and the moisture rises up through capillary action. Oh, yes, it's yeah. mainly uh, attributed to older houses, um, pre-1930s, 1940s, your, your typical houses that you would see in towns and cities. Um, of course, because they, w- they would have been built a very long time ago and to different specifications. Exactly. So the main okay. criteria is a damp-proof coursing. There's no damp-proof coursing, which is effectively a glorified piece of layer of plastic that, um, that stops any moisture. It's laid at construction stage at the base of the wall and stops any moisture rising up. OK. And then the other types, the condensation is kind of self-explanatory. Maybe that's to do with sealing exits and windows and mm. all that kind of thing and you can you again in older houses you see the kind of when it's very very cold or change in temperature you can see the condensation dripping down uh, off the window so I suppose it's similar Condensation is by far and away the biggest issue in dampness and it, it counts in our business in Damp Doctor it accounts for at least 80% right. of all the calls and service that we carry out is condensation And is that the signal then is that what people will normally call about like they, they'll see that does that seep it then into the walls or into the in into the fabric of the home look it's very hard to diagnose it over over a simple phone call um it's it's very important we see one of the biggest issues that people have is misdiagnosis so people can call one of our team they can say we've rising damp when in actual fact they may not have rising damp uh, it, it could be a lot of issues would be condensation related um but Look, it's important. A quick example, we had a guy um, a couple of years back who had spent €9,000 on replacing the roof of his property Mm. because his local builder and his local engineer had told him that 
the roof was past its, its usable life uh, and he replaced the roof to the tune of €9,000. Six weeks later, the issue was still there. One of our trained damp surveyors called out, did all the gadgets, the thermal imaging cameras, the moisture meters, the hygrometers. Very quickly, they were able to ascertain that it was in fact a condensation and humidity problem that was causing the issues. Roll on a month later, the works had been carried out and we were actually talking to the guy recently. Um, he'd never looked back. So it was an expensive, it was a, a self-diagnosis that was a misdiagnosis mm. and a very expensive one. So you really need, it, it can be such a simple thing as an investment in a qualified damp surveyor to call out to your property can be the difference in, it can be a good investment, put it that way. Google Doc instead of damp doc. <laughs> exactly. All right. So once somebody spots it, and they give you a call and they say, crikey, I've got damp seeping in or coming down. Is there a, there's sometimes kind of like a fungus. I've seen horror stories of stuff where that can, because the minute you have warm, damp conditions, you're going to start getting a fungi built up, aren't you? Whatever horror stories you think you've seen, believe me, we've seen a lot worse. Um, yes, fungus. So it's the condensation. It's, look, you have a lot of issues playing into it now. You have overcrowding in buildings because condensation is a lifestyle dampness. It's caused by people's um, habits. So breeding is one source of dehumidity. Believe it or not, we exhale. Breeding, well, I mean, we cannot do that. That's not lifestyle. Believe it or not, (laughs) as humans, uh, we exhale four pints of moisture per day. Right. So typically you would see most of these issues, a lot of these issues in bedrooms. So it's because people spend one third of the day approximately in their bedroom. In bed. Breeding. Um, So that's one source. You have people showering. Um, That's the big one. I must say, the any time I've ever had it in my house or that kind of, that you know, that staining you get on ceilings mm-hmm. and that, it's always been in where there's a shower. Yeah, you know, showers, showers is common. Drying clothes is another source yeah. of dehumidity. Cooking is another one. But you're not alone, uh, Sinead. It's estimated that over 30% of houses in the country have some form of damp issue. And we would actually argue that it's probably higher. It's just that it's not manifesting itself in any visual yeah, visual obvious it's there, signs. but you haven't yet seen exactly. it. Now, so what solutions can you offer, um, Colin, for people then who have that? Like, what, is there any remedies they can take themselves? I know there are paints that can kind of prevent against it sometimes. Yeah, look, the paints are not really addressing why the issue happened in the first place. Covering it up. The reason why it happened, it, it's, it's three main things. You have uh, insufficient insulation, insufficient and consistent ventilation and insufficient temperature and consistent temperature and saying anything mentioning to do with central heating at the moment is like it's like using foul language it's, it, it gets a very bad reaction the cost of everything at the moment but um would you reckon would you would you recommend then that people i mean what what helps prevent damp is it having it a little bit colder than it should be or a little bit warmer than it should be now, there's a couple of a couple of misconceptions um the, the actual ideal temperature is over 18 degrees Celsius. The key word, and we use it every day as surveyors, is consistent. Okay. You need to have consistent temperature. There's no use. Well, it's not that there's no use, but having the heat on for two or three hours at night is fine. It sorts out your personal comfort and you're, you're comfortable in your house. But what about the other 21, 22 hours that the heating is not on? Those are the hours, the hours of darkness when, as I say, when you have to get up, maybe run to the bathroom during the night and you, you can't wait to dive back under the covers, it's so cold. That's actually when the greatest chance of your condensation issues are happening because it's cold outside. There's humid conditions inside from you breathing. 
that moisture hits the cold outside wall and you get condensation. I mean, people are not going to leave their heating on. No, they're not. Not at the moment. I mean, mean, because of the cost of it. That seems like... The the ESRI done a recent report um, and the conclusion was basically that 30% of houses now are subject to fuel poverty. The definition of fuel poverty is that when you spend over 10% of your disposable income on energy. Now, energy includes oil, electricity, everything. So lots and lots of people are doing that at the moment. Now, can we take it that any houses built after the regs came in, like 2006 onwards, that they are in the main not going to have issues of damp? Yes, well, definitely from 2010 onwards, where they have the air to water heat system which which exactly which provides that yeah. consistent temperature they have uh, ventilation top grade ventilation systems which again is a very very important part of it and they're insulated within an inch of their lives so they are not the problematic houses it is older housing stock and does getting in a kind of if you were going to make an investment in something like double or triple glazing will that cut down on a lot of it will that cut down on the condensation issue it it will cut down on it. Look, I suppose from a practical point of view to give some value to your listeners who are, a lot of will be feeling the pinch coming up to Christmas, 40% of the heat loss in a house goes through the roof. Mm. So the cheapest form of insulation is attic insulation. So if you're going to, if you're putting it in, in order of importance, definitely get your attic insulated first. Then move on to your windows, doors and, and walls. Again, roughly 20% through the walls of heat loss and another 20% through the windows. So, again, I go back to the attic. Use the, put the hat on the house. Put the hat on the house. The S-E-I-I-I in. They've said it to us every single time, put the hat on the house yeah. first. If you can save up for some medium term, yes, wall insulation then and, and your windows. And of course, there's loads and loads of grants available for all of that kind of stuff now. And it is worth uh, checking it out. All right, Colin Nolan. Damp Doctor, uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning on The Home Show. It's been a pleasure, thank you. Coming up on The Home Show, bringing the bling with your Christmas tree interior designer to the stars. Arlene McIntyre will be in studio and we'll be back here in a few moments. Now, many of us have the Christmas tree up by now. I hope we do anyway. But how do you know if it's in the best spot in your home to really show it off at its best? Well, joining me now to find out how celebrities and stars make their Christmas tree look wow is, of course, Arlene McIntyre from Ventura Design. Arlene, I'm going to stick my neck out here Mm -hmm. and reckon that you have not just one tree Yes. Possibly more than one tree yes. and they all look amazing. Well, <laughs> I have two. I could, I would love to have more, to be honest, but I had to restrain myself. Really? Even I'm like, okay, I know this is overkill, but I have really decorated and embellished my front door. So I think that's, that's was something new and exciting that. for me. Okay. So that's like my third tree. Wow. So the front, the front door is all kind of, we have a beautiful sweeping garland all around the front door. And I picked up my wreath yesterday, which I'm really excited about. So I like to keep that kind of new every year, something new. Wow. So I've okay. gone very much into the burgundies. Right. This year, yeah. Okay. Just warmer. Well, we heard last week, of course, from Gary Cohen that magenta is the Pantone mm-hmm. colour of the year. So like that, that is kind of influencing. So of course, you're is. ahead of the curve. You probably in I saw them. that. <laughs> uh, Viva, and yeah, it's a very vibrant, vibrant colour. It's fantastic. In fact, I've put accents of that tone into my daughter's Christmas tree. So her your tree is daughter fabulous. daughter has a Christmas tree. Let's just remind ourselves how old your daughter is, Arlene. <laughs> She's three and a half. 
Well, it is the accessory that every three and a half should not be without. I am aware of it, but it's just so fab. And it's in a place where the whole family can enjoy it. In fact, it's off our kitchen. It is her tree, but we're all tapping into it. Was she allowed to decorate it herself? She was. So that's the reasoning behind it. I thought it would be interesting to make that more like the fun kitty tree and all her pals come in and they add something to it. And there's some homemade decor on that as well, which is really sweet. And of course, it keeps her little hands off. Maybe your very expensive exactly. Okay, That's the thinking. So we have the good tree in the good room and Ali's tree in our family room. Fabulous. All right. Well, look, talk to us then about just in case we're kind of looking at the tree now and we're not quite sure and it's a bit funny and you're squeezing your way around it and things are dropping off it every time. Where is the best place to push a bushy Christmas tree? It depends. Especially a real one, I think, because Mm -hmm. they're more prone to not being uniform. That's true. And that's really important. So you have to take in a few things into consideration. The size of your hallway, if you've got a really great big hallway, often a cooler place where the temperatures are a little cooler. So the tree will last longer. And so I do like putting a tree in the hallway. I just think that's a lovely wow entrance when you enter. So it is really all about the entrance and where you position it. And I think it's important that both you and all of your visitors can enjoy the tree when you enter the space. Mm. Real trees last longer in hallways Even artificial ones are wonderfully positioned in hallways as well. You can decorate and and garnish all of your stair balustrades as you're leading up the stairs. I think that's a lovely thing to do as well. And um, if you, it depends again on the size of your living room space. If it is your living room, you decide to put it into. Corners are safer because you're not going to bash into the bobbles. You can hide all the wiring behind it Mm. safely into that corner. Mm. Probably consider keeping it away from your fireplace so that it doesn't start sort of losing its shape. Um, and, and again, from a radiator, because, I mean, if you have your radiator under the window, yes. uh, which some people do, and then you have the tree right up against it, you're kind of that you're losing on both counts because you the are. tree's getting over hot and it's not reaching you the room. Are. Yeah. And if you if you put a tree in your window, which I know a lot of people like to do so they can enjoy it in the evenings from outside in, you are losing the light in your living room space. I know, but people do like putting it in the window, not least because all the neighbours can Look how fabulous there is that. it is. There is that. <laughs> there is that. I know that. See it. I know. You, the last thing you want are, are your neighbours thinking, do they not put up a tree? That's I, know. Not in there. I know. I know. I know. Well, then get a good wreath. So it's all about keeping people kind of wanting more, wondering more. But yeah, I do think trees and windows are super. They do block the light, though. That's the only downside. Mm. But they are magical to look at, it, especially okay. if you've got them lit. And of course, look, at this time of the year, I know maximising light is important, daylight, but there's not that much of it. And really, you're probably going to be doing that more internally than than externally. Okay. Now, uh, let me ask you a controversial question. Um, Twinkly lights. uh, So uh, flashing, not flashing or coloured or white. Okay. For my own personal tree, say for our our good room tree that I have for the grownups, it's a still light. It's not flashing. Uh, my little girl's tree is flashing <laughs> <laughs> and it has coloured lights and okay. all of the kind of the the pastel tones. Everything. So, so it's you, really kind of no colourful. No kitsch is too much kitsch. No, okay. I think you can go, go all out with the kitty trees. Excellent. And uh, on the top, do we have a Santa, a star or an angel? We have a reindeer wearing a ballerina dress. Well, of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you heard with the bird. Here, folks. First, <laughs> if you do not have that, you are not on trend for 2022. <laughs> have fun. That's what it's all about. Okay. Christmas is for kids and it's fun. All right. Brilliant. Okay. Now, how many trees would you have if you could? Oh, probably four. 
I would. There's always next year. There is. There's always next year. Okay. Now, one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about today, because this is something that whether or not people now are going to move their tree on the basis of your advice, one thing they're probably thinking about doing is wondering where they are going to fit everybody. And, you know, having everybody seated maybe more to dinner than you'd normally have. You're getting in chairs or tables or whatever. I saw you actually... I think it must have been a repeat of uh, one of the designed for life uh, mm-hmm. things on RT and uh, the great work you did with clients in a small space. And there was a particular job squeezing in a table in a very small apartment. Yes. Uh, but you did it by redesigning like a bench wraparound. Yes. And, and a peninsula, which was nearly the other side of the table. Exactly. So it was multipurpose. Now, look, people aren't going to redesign their kitchens for Christmas Day. But tell me about some of the things they can do to maximise space? Or would you be a fan of hiring in tables and chairs if needs be? I've seen people use garden furniture. I've seen people bring in temporary, you know, fold up tables. I think they're really useful. Uh, If you have a a big family coming, you can also create like a kiddie table where they have a lower section and that can be decorated separately and in a different space within the larger space. But it really does depend on the size of your Mm. room and how Mm. much you have going on. Rectangular tables are wonderful because you can kind of get them into a corner. You can really maximize the seats. You can get maybe three, four people on the back wall, maybe two possibly on on the ends of each table, depending on the the depth of the table. Averagely speaking, they're about 1.1 meter depth. Mm, mm. Um, I think everybody knows on Christmas Day that it is a bit squashed. And yeah, you might you know, end up in a corner or beside a four-year-old and that's just the way exactly. it is. Exactly, and that's just the way it is. So generally speaking, when you're looking at dining furniture, and a lot of people maybe in the new year now will be looking at refreshing their mm-hmm. kitchen and their dining space. Um, room size, uh, obviously, is very important. I mean, maybe you like the idea of a round table, but it mightn't suit your space. You need to consider where your doors are, how you flow in and out of the kitchen space, where your kitchen island is, all those things. You need to really kind of just review the room and see how practical, uh, you know, having a round table is versus a rectangular one. I love round tables myself. I think they're wonderful in corners. Uh, It just allows you to have more flow within the kitchen Mm. space, especially if you can extend it, if it has a leaf. Um, otherwise, it also depends on how you use the table. Is it a multifunctional table? Are the kids doing homework on that table? Are you working from home on that table? All those things uh, you'll need to consider because then you can't always get an extendable glass or cordstock table. You can, but they're not as common as the wooden ones. And does that then impact on the type of material that yes. you, would, you would use? Yeah. I mean, you don't want the kids doing it on polished veneered mahogany. No, 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 totally. So like really practical worktops probably would be like that that glass, a nice tough t- glass on the top or a quartz top I love and I think they're really fresh and they're very on trend at the quartz moment. Quartz top, that's that With a wooden heavy. base. Right. Well, it, it looks, it's like, a, it looks like it resembles a stone top. So, uh, you know, it's it's very durable. It's it's uh, you know, very people are loving it in their kitchen spaces as worktops as well. Um, it's a bit different to the stone. It's not as porous as stone. It's very durable. You can put hot pots on top of it. Uh, wine can be just licked away with a little cloth. <laughs> and yeah, so I think that might be something to consider or a really nice wooden tabletop, which is mm. always warm mm. uh, in a kitchen space. Okay, and um, you do need to check things like, you know, that it is hard wearing, that it's going to be used for for whatever you need. Mm -hmm. 
Do you find that um, people are veering towards the smaller table nowadays in homes? Yes. Or, or with the open plan rooms everybody seems to have now that in fact they're going extra big, you know, as they if are. they're catering for 12 people they all are. the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're seeing a lot of longer rectangular tables on average. We're seeing larger rectangular tables coupled with a smaller um, section within the kitchen space whereby they can have their breakfast or a cup of coffee or it's mm. just like a, a, a lighter serving area within the kitchen space. You can also have a dining table that's integrated into your island, which is lovely. People are really using their their countertop spaces or rather their islands as second eating areas as well. So yeah. that's not yeah. And and that's important stools, not to forget. The with the stools, the lined up. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think people use that even more than their dining tables. You know, on a regular basis. Yeah. But de- definitely, the the trend would be longer rectangular dining tables, and probably using your island as the second eating space. Yeah, because it's something about a statement piece and I love that idea of a long rectangular table is that sense of you know it's an entertainment room we yes. always have buckets of people over even if it's only just the four of you yeah. most nights you yeah, know yeah, but yeah. there's that that sense that it it's a statement piece it is and it also depends on your home and how big your home is and if you can if you're lucky enough to have a dining room yeah or that space yeah. but um otherwise you can be really clever on how you can get that that rectangular dining table into your room with banquet seating yeah, so that that, that is the solution. bench. It really is. It and is. fixed to the wall and then you don't have to worry it about it. It is. And in that particular <gasps> yeah. project, we actually had under storage as well to the bench, a built-in banquet. Mm. So there was additional storage, which helped her a lot. Brilliant. Well. All right. Well, listen, Arlene, thank you so much for all of that. Uh, great tips and hints. And of course, you need a, a table to squeeze into the corner because you have to fit all the Christmas trees. Exactly. <laughs> and hide all your Christmas <laughs> presents. Exactly. Well, listen, happy Christmas uh, to you and yours. And I hope your same little girl you. now, as Santa comes and is, is very generous and, and adds another bauble to, to the tree. Merry and uh, lovely to have you back on the home show again this week. Take care. And that's all we have time for this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, If you'd like to get involved or you have a question for us or a topic you'd like to hear covered or a guest you'd like us to feature, well, please do get in touch. We are always interested in new topics uh, and guests. And you can do that by getting in touch by texting us on 53106 for 30 cent. Email us at any stage during the week at thehomeshow at newstalk.com and we will definitely pick that up. And don't forget to check out our podcast, which is up on the News Talk website. Thanks to Marisa Sullivan producing. Steve Daunt was on research and Stephen McLoon and Peter Malloy on sound. Anton Savage is up next. Do stay tuned for that and we will be back with our Christmas Eve show next Saturday morning at 8 o'clock.